Danny, I just figured out that if I switch to Metro PCS, I get two Samsung Galaxy phones free. Cool, Dad. And I could be a super dad with two free Samsung Galaxy phones and call myself Double Galaxy Man. Or you could give the second phone to your sidekick. Yeah, I guess I could do that. That's right. Two free Samsung Galaxy On5 smartphones are all yours when you switch to Metro PCS. Metro PCS, wireless figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions. Hello, Mama. Grab your popcorn and goobers. It's time for Motherhood in Hollywood with your host, Heather Brooker. This is a crude prude's perspective on being a full-time mom in showbiz. She's not a perfect mom, but she can play one on TV. Hold on to your butts. Here's Heather. Hey, hey, everybody. It's episode 20 of Motherhood in Hollywood. Yay! I can't believe I've done this 20 times already. Feels like it was just yesterday that I started. Hmm. Um, but yeah, we're in episode 20. I am having, still, I'm having so much fun. I always said that if I wasn't having fun with this show anymore, I would stop doing it. And that hasn't happened yet. And mostly because of the amazing guests that I've had on, the people who have taken the time to speak with me, but also because of my friends who's been who've been so supportive and the great reaction I've gotten on our Twitter and Instagram and um, Facebook. So thank you guys for listening and supporting the show. I really do appreciate it. Um, before I start into more of my little mommy monologue here. Um, I want to tell you about my guest on the show today. My guest is Rosie Pope, you guys. This is so exciting for me because she's this beautiful, talented, successful mom of four. She was on Bravo's Pregnant in Heels a few years back, and she also runs her own company and she's a fashion line. And she, um, did I mention the mom of four? Like, I can't even imagine how challenging that would be, but she actually had some pretty, um, pretty interesting, uh, insights on what it is like to have a, to be a mom of four versus a mom of one, um, which is what I am. And I'm, and I'm tired. I'm so tired. <laughs> Channing keeps me busy for sure. Uh, so yeah, I'm excited to talk to Rosie and you guys will definitely enjoy, um, her insights. She was so honest and so genuine and shared so much with me and, 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 um, really just good people. Rosie Pope is good people guys. So yeah, that's what's happening on the show today. As for me, um, I am still planning the Motherhood in Hollywood fundraiser that's coming up December 7th at Acme Comedy Theater. And right now I am so excited because I get to announce who our very special guests are going to be. Are you ready? Are you excited? Um, Our first guest is Lori Kilmartin. You guys, this is so great. Um, Lori is a stand-up comedian and writer on uh, Conan's show, uh, Conan O'Brien, that is. And also she was a finalist on Last Comic Standing season seven. And she's a mom and she has such great, funny things to say about her experiences being a mom. And also I'm super excited about Danielle Koenig. She's going to be coming on the show. Um, that last name might sound familiar to you because she is Walter Koenig's daughter. And he played, of course, Chekhov on um, Star Trek, the original Star Trek, you guys. Danielle is also, though, a very talented writer and an actress. She was in a movie called The Craft. She was also um, in Parental Discretion, or on Parental Discretion, I should say, with Stephanie Wilder-Taylor that aired, um, I believe it was like during a, like a segment of their broadcasting they called Nick Mom or 
Nick mom at night or something like that. Um, but anyway, I'm so honored to have these two ladies, uh, Lori Kilmartin and Danielle Koenig come to my show and, uh, share their experiences, laugh with me, let me, um, ask them a bunch of crazy questions and all of it to help raise money for the no kid hungry organization. Um, can I tell you I'm stressed out too? I'm stressed out, but I'm excited. If you're in the LA area and you want to come to the taping, go to motherhoodhollywood.com slash no kid hungry or click on the MIH live page. And that will take you to information of where you can buy tickets to come see the show. And if you can't come see the show, then, um, check out the donation page and see if you can donate to no kid hungry. That is the organization we're raising money for. They provide meals to children in the United States, um, who either can't afford them or don't have access to government subsidies to be able to get meals and get food. And, um, you know, if you're like me and you've ever gone hungry <laughs> for a few hours, uh, you can get a little cranky, you get a little tired, you're a little lethargic. So I can't imagine um, that how heartbreaking it would be or how frustrating it would be for a child in this country who goes hours and, you know, sometimes even days without something to eat. And that just breaks my heart. And if there's something we can do, even in some small way to help with that, um, I'm going to do it. And that's what we're doing. That's why we're doing Motherhood in Hollywood Live, Acme Comedy Theater, December 7th. Go to the website for more information on that. Uh, in addition to that, I have been going on auditions um, like you do as an actor in this town. And, you know, I've said it before, and it's just, it's so frustrating because you feel like when you go out for these parts, you know you're right for it. You know you have the, you know, whatever look they might be looking for, whatever um, cadence, you know, you can play the part. And if you're a fellow actor out there who might be listening, you know, it's, um, really frustrating that you can't seem to get other people to see that you can play this part. Um, and whatever, you know, they end up doing as far as casting, whoever they end up going with, you may look at it and go, I don't, what, why, why did you pick that person over me? Clearly I knew what I was doing or I could do that same thing. And, so much of this acting business and and entertainment really is out of our control and it's frustrating and infuriating. And, you know, if we didn't love it, we wouldn't do it. You know, I just watched, um, Supergirl, which by the way, if you're not watching Supergirl, you should be, it's such a good show. Like I'm out of all of the Greg Berlanti type of types of shows that are out there. I think, you know, this one is one of my favorites cause you've got arrow and I think he also does flash. Um, and maybe one other one, but, um, I really like Arrow, but I mean, Supergirl is really great. It's really well written and acted. That for me is the big one. The acting is believable. Like on Arrow, it's a little touch and go with like his sister and, um, Laurel and the, her sister. Oh my God. I can't, it makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> Makes me uncomfortable. I can't watch them. Um, but I will watch Stephen Amell. Ooh, I would watch him just drink a beer like or a Coke, whatever. I would watch it. Um, he is gorgeous. But anyway, back to Supergirl. I love that. I love it. I think it's such a great show and so smartly written and visually just really a beautiful show. But um, I auditioned for a really small part um, several months ago. And, uh, it, the episode that I auditioned for was just released and I got to see who got my part and it was like a, you know, 20 year old black guy. 
And as a middle-aged chubby white lady, I'm sitting here going, what the, how did that even happen? Like, how did they go from, you know, to me that just says that they're, it's great that they're just open to anybody, I suppose. But for me, it's frustrating because it's like, well, why would you pick him over me? I don't think that I was, I didn't do anything wrong in the audition. I wasn't particularly you know, terrible. I mean, maybe I was, I don't know. I don't know. That's one of the frustrating things about being an actor in this town is, you know, unless you have a manager that's constantly calling and getting you feedback from your auditions, then you really don't know. Cause casting doesn't call you and say, Hey, next time do this or don't do that or whatever. And, and it's, um, you're just sort of flying blind most of the time. And that's why we do it because we love it and not because we want to, we hope to make millions of dollars. Although, that would be pretty brilliant. Um, I actually have another audition today that for another part that I'm really perfect for. And, you know, who knows? Who knows what they'll do? Who knows what direction they'll go? I'm going to keep my fingers crossed that um, they pick me, though. So send me good vibes, everybody. Do it, do it, do it. Um, So yeah, that's basically what's happening in my world. I'm working on redoing my website. (sighs) It has been such a difficult process for me. I can't make up my mind as to what like template I want to use. And, you know, I want to use something that's going to be easy to navigate for the podcast in particular, but I also want to be able to put my writings on there. And, you know, I'm just, I'm probably overthinking it like I do with a lot of things in my life. I'm overthinking and overanalyzing it. And, but that's another thing on my plate that I want to get done. So that we've got auditions, we've got the fundraiser coming up and somewhere in between there, I get to spend time with my Channings and, um, celebrate my birthday that's coming up. Um, it's actually the 15th. So by the time this airs, it will have passed, but that doesn't mean you can't still wish me happy birthday. Yay. Um, so yeah, that's it. That's what's happening in my world. I hope you guys are all having a great week. Feel free to tweet at me or follow me on Instagram. Twitter is at MIH podcast and Instagram and Facebook is motherhood in Hollywood. And, um, yeah, thank you guys as always for being so supportive of the show. A lot of good things are happening. A lot of wonderful things are happening too. And I'm glad that you are a part of it with me. So love ya. Mushy, mushy, hugsy, kisses. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to stop, uh, talking now and, um, get right into the interview with Rosie Pope. Here we go. Okay, you guys, I am so excited to have my guest on the show today. It is Rosie Pope, and she is a mom, an author, businesswoman, uh, host of the Bravo show Pregnant in Heels, um, so many other things. Have I missed anything? <laughs> Fashion designer? Um, I, it's funny. I think a lot of people uh, don't know that we, I spend most of my time designing, I think, designing and teaching. So, um, yeah, so... We have uh, maternity clothes, obviously, uh, nursing, uh, baby, baby shoes, baby bedding. Um, so a lot of different things that um, people start to see more and more in all the department stores and Bye Bye Babies and Babies Are Us and places like that. Um, so yeah, so a lot of other stuff too. <laughs> yeah, you're very busy and you have two boys and two girls. How are yeah. you even standing up right now? Like, how are you even functioning? <laughs> you know... I don't know. It makes me feel so much better though, actually, when people ask that question, because sometimes I'm like, why am I so tired or so stressed or whatever? And then I realize, you know what? This stuff is hard. It's just hard. 
And I think when you accept that fact, it makes it easier in a way. And so it's so nice when people say, like, how are you standing up? Um, I prefer that instead of like, oh, you're a super mom, because then you feel the stress or the pressure. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. But the how you're standing up, um, I think it's largely something to do with Diet Coke. Uh, (laughs) And I have no shame about it. Um, And I don't know. I think I've convinced myself that this is a... a phase I'm in, a very crazy phase, and it's not going to last forever. Um, and I know everybody with older kids always says, you know, enjoy it right now because it's going to go quick. So I, I tell myself that every day will not be this crazy, and then I can do it. Do you sort of um, thrive on the craziness? Are you one of those moms that just has to be busy all the time or, um, you know, constantly looking for ways to grow your business, to add to it, you know, and that sort of thing? Um. I think uh, I am out of necessity. Like, this is our family business. Obviously, we want to grow it. We started it um, for our kids and to give them a different future. So I do out of my passion and my love for them. And I, I mean, I do love what I do. But that I, there's always, like, this secret part of me that people are always shocked at, that I would actually truly rather be at home, like, doing some random craft and cuddling with my babies. I'm a really homebody. So, so. Yeah, I'm fueled because it's what we need for our family. Um, I would take any rainy Sunday and, and put some socks and pajamas on and go and hang out home all day. So um, so no, I don't think I'm one of those people that needs the drama or the uh, action. So tell me about your kids um, and how perfect. Two boys, two girls. That's like the dream right there, right? Right. Uh, yeah, I know. But I, I had no idea that it was going to work out clearly so well. But. Um, I was going to say, though, I think I'm an only child, and uh, I think in some ways one is the hardest number um, because it's, it's you and them. You know, so that the entertainment or everything is you. And I've realized uh, since having four now that so much of their learning and interaction, too, comes from each other. Um, that they're, I mean, obviously, we spend a lot of time together, too, but there are, like, good chunks of each day where they're just playing with each other. And you can't, you don't have that when uh, you have one. So that's it's more actually, intense. Yeah, that's a really great point. I forget about that. I sometimes feel like I'm her activities director. Like I'm constantly having to come up with things for us to do or places to go. And it's exhausting. And I can't just be like, go play with your brother or, you know, um, and that's, yeah, that's a really good point. Um, so tell me you, since you do have so many yeah. kids, was this always like a vision that you had? Did you want a big family? Yeah. I, I mean, I remember for as many years as I can go back being a kid and being an only child and really, really wanting a big family and having this image of, you know, the holidays and craziness and people running around. And I, it was always something that I was really attracted to. Um, but, you know, have no experience of it myself. Um, and growing up in North London with not a lot of, not a big family. So, yeah, especially, yeah, if you were um, an only child. Did you have a lot of, like, yeah. cousins or was it just you? Nope. Nope. I that's had how one I cousin. That's how I was. I have like, yep. I have cousins, but they're distant and they lived in other places. So mm-hmm. like, it was literally just me in terms of family. Did you get lots yeah. of presents uh, <laughs> and attention? Well, my parents uh, were separated too uh, <clears throat> before I was born. So the so the family was sort of um, broken up as well. And then there were a lot of adults because they were step parents also on top of that. So not a lot of children a lot more adults. And I think I, uh, probably growing up, I just craved this sort of fun, um, and adventure that kids can have together. Uh, and when I met my husband, ironically, I think it's hard to find, but he was the same way. And 
only Matt, but he really wanted a lot of kids too. So that was, that's very unusual for men. Mostly they're just like, uh, no, thank you. (laughs) He's from Mississippi. Oh, how cute. He does something different. Oh, how funny. It's very, it's very big in that area of the part of the country to want to have big families. So I can understand that. Yeah. We got married, uh, when we were 26 in in new york city mm-hmm. um and i remember everybody in new york city thought we were crazy but out of our friends from oh, the yeah. south we were so old in their oh lives. yeah no it's it's amazing um it's just a different um culture in terms of when you get married like my best friend from high school got married when she was 19 and she couldn't even drink the champagne toast at her own wedding you know like and it was it was crazy and i remember th- I got married when I was 24 and I remember thinking, Oh, I'm so old. <laughs> right. But if you're in a city like LA or New York or wherever that people look at you, like you're still in high school. Yeah. I like mean, you're, you're, so, yeah. you're giving up yeah. or, you know, um, or like, why, why would you do that? You're closing the chapter on so many people you could date and, you know, and I'm like, well, when you find the one, why do you, you know, why do you need to keep dating? Yep. But now I want to talk a little bit about something you've been very open with, and that has been your infertility challenges. Did you notice something when with the first child or how did it all sort of unravel for you? Yeah, well, uh, yes. speaking of having, getting married early meant that we um, started trying to have kids early. Mm-hmm. And, you know, honestly, for us, that was a blessing that we did start so early because I don't think that... If I had weight and then discovered all these problems, we would have been as blessed or as lucky rather. Um, Cause we are, I just, I feel so blessed that we ended up with the family that we have. Um, but no, I, you know, the first time uh, I got pregnant, I had a miscarriage and that was very, very uh, shocking and upsetting to me. It's one of those things that is very common, but as you know, few women really talk about it that openly and sure. until it happens to you, you don't realize that maybe it happens to your mother or your aunt or your friend. Like it's, it's very common, but not that often shared. So when that happened to me, I was very shocked. Um, but my doctor didn't think there was anything abnormal about it. Um, and so we just sort of went on like, okay, this just, just missed, you know, um, we had bad luck the first time. Um, but it took us, uh, about nine, 10 months after that, uh, to get pregnant again. And I don't think again, <clears throat> again, that's not that abnormal. So everything wasn't that abnormal other than the fact that I was 27. Um, uh, we got pregnant with our first son and, a normal pregnancy, a normal delivery, everything was fine. Um, but after that experience, I felt that I wanted to just, we wanted a big family. I wanted to start getting pregnant or trying to get pregnant right away. Uh, I was worried about having another miscarriage and then it taking another year to get pregnant. So I was like, let's just keep going. And, you know, people say those silly things to you at that point. Like, it's like riding a bike now. Like, oh, you gross. don't want to do it again. <laughs> uh, I know, you're like, I don't know. What's going on. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> I, but we could not get pregnant. Like, it just didn't work. Um, and about, uh, I would say, like, six months into trying, uh, I really wanted to be proactive. And because of the industry I was in, I knew I was really fortunate to know specialists. And I was like, look, I just want to go to a specialist and see if there's nothing wrong with me. Fantastic. But I'd rather get checked out and not worry about it. Mm-hmm. So I went to what they call a reproductive endocrinologist. Because um, a lot of people don't realize that they're OBGYN. It's, this is not their specialty. Um and I went and they, you know, they do all these tests and they were like, whoa, you have a lot of things going on here. Um, I had a heart-shaped uterus, um, which makes it very hard for a baby to grow in. I also had endometriosis, which is something that a lot of women suffer from. Um, and it makes it increasingly hard to get pregnant with each month. Um, and I was not ovulating. And they didn't know why. It was nothing to do with my weight. It was nothing to do. I had no idea. They just 
we don't know why you stopped ovulating after you had your first baby. And I was like, great. <laughs> that makes it really hard for me to get pregnant, doesn't it? So I had various operations on my uterus. I had uh, infertility treatment. And we just kept going through each thing until finally we got to IVF. And they were like, you guys are great candidates. You're young. Everything's going to be fine. Um, and multiple rounds later, nothing. Um, and I think we were just very bewildered at that point because we didn't really have a great explanation. And I think when you're trying to get pregnant, every month seems so long. Yeah. Even though, you know what I mean? The, the thought of waiting another month to start another round of IVF just seems forever when you're in that moment. Every step of fertility treatment every day is like, it just magnifies. So, you know, when you're going through this, it's so intense and it feels like it's never going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and time just seems to go so slowly. And everybody else's time, though, seems speeded up. Yeah, so because it seems like does. everyone's having a baby. When you can't, yes. everybody else is having a baby. And you're waiting, you're checking your ovulation. You're, some, some women are temping, you know, you're, and then when that period comes, it's just uh, it's so heartbreaking. Yeah, and, you know, my doctor, he had a really great point. He's like, you know, an IVF cycle is really like, having a period you know but you know every single day where that period is at and so you you mourn it like a loss when you have it I'm like you know I didn't think about it like that I think of it as like that's really a baby inside me with a real possibility of growing being a baby and he's like yes but that that's true every month I'm like you're right yeah that's (laughs) true you have that much information and you go to the doctor that much during it it's so hard not not to think about it. And Did yet, you find that you sort of obsessed about it. it a little bit, that you were just always thinking about it and always, um, you know, wondering or, or knowing where you're at in your cycle and what your body's doing? Were you just super in tune to your body during that time? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I was in tune to it. I was like, knew everything about it because of all the <laughs> testing, but it felt very, in many ways, kind of out of tune mm-hmm. because they were creating so much of this stuff for me with hormones and injections and everything else. Um, it was really hard. And I think it's one of those things that I know both professionally, because I work with a lot of people that have gone through it, but also personally, I know how important it is to not obsess and not worry. But I also know, having gone through it, how annoying and frustrating that is to hear because it's impossible not right. to obsess over something like that. Right. So it's a really, really, it's a really, it's a very tricky thing to be heartbreaking and also a very complicated place to be um and for me I mean I really I don't know I think having a career really helped me because there were you know parts of the day that I really couldn't think about it Mm -hmm. uh I was also blessed to already have a child so I knew you know if I couldn't get pregnant I still was a mother um and I I think I, I just ultimately had to just have sort of blind faith like I couldn't I couldn't let myself think what if this doesn't happen for me because then it's too much to handle I just I was like, it is going to happen. I don't know when, but it will happen. Um, and honestly, I started relaxing more. Like I started drinking again. <laughs> I started <laughs> working out. I mean, obviously not when um, I actually had an embryo you know, transfer inside of me. But mm-hmm. the weeks leading up to it, I was like, I, I can't obsess every moment. Mm-hmm. I have to just relax. So uh, I think a lot of women in- going through that can't let themselves do that. They get re- they get really wound up and 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 it's okay to have um, wine and it's okay you know uh, in moderation and all that stuff when you're going through IVF, right? Yeah, the thing is, you know, I mean, doctors will give each person their own advice, mm-hmm. and there's various reasons why you should or you shouldn't. Um, clearly, dehydration is a really bad idea sure. when you're trying to have an embryo implant. So there's, there's reasons why obviously you're not going to go out and do tequila shots. But, <laughs> but, I, but I think that that idea is like you, but having 
a glass of wine or having a iced coffee, it really isn't going to be the difference between you getting pregnant or not. Or actually, right. it could be the difference in terms of you relaxing enough that it might happen. Right, right. But it's not going to be a difference in terms of hurting a baby. But people are so scared that you think anything you do, it's like, I don't want to jump up and down, otherwise something might happen. I don't want to yeah. get so crazy about everything. But then you think about how people mostly get pregnant is they get wasted and have random sex somewhere. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I'm like, I'm sure they don't lie down for like 30 minutes afterwards. And I'm sure <laughs> they were not worrying about hydrating. And I think it also has a huge effect on your relationship because, you know, you're going through this oh, yeah. with somebody else and it's very hard. It is really hard. And that level of intimacy and having that connection between the two of you is sort of what sets you apart from just being friends. And I think that the obsession can turn into uh, resentment and it can also turn into um, making sex and intimacy something that's just really not that pleasurable and difficult to do and yeah and I really think at the end of the day when you you look at it like having a baby getting pregnant it is a miracle you know even doctors don't quite know all the things that need to come together to make it happen but we know that you have to do traditionally certain things to make it happen so it suggests that you're probably supposed to be enjoying yourself when you're making a baby um there's gotta be something to it so yeah (laughs) if you're going through something like IVF it's really hard I know it because I went through it but you I think that you have to like you said not turn into something so clinical Mm -hmm. because there's something organic about having a baby and you need to have that too um now were you having said that it's very hard I was gonna say yeah now were you um had you already started your mom prep program at this time had you were you already sort of getting into um the mommy world and and things like that at this time when you were going through all of your IVF or was that something that came after? No, totally. We were teaching from, um, before I, just after I had my first son. So, um, yeah, all the classes were going, uh, was that difficult for you to see all of the moms with their kids and, um, you know, you were feeling this frustration and going through so many, um, of your own challenges. Was that hard for you? You know, people have asked me that question a lot. Like it really, I don't remember it really being hard at work. I remember it being much harder if my friend would give me a call and tell me they were pregnant. And oh, I think yeah. because professionally I could sort of separate it as I'm helping these people, like these classes, this is great. But on a personal level, when it's somebody that you know, it's the internal conflict of feeling like so happy for them and then so guilty that you feel unhappy for yourself. Yeah. So it didn't, it really didn't, my career didn't, it wasn't difficult because of what I do. Um, but we, yeah, we started filming actually, um, I ended up having an ectopic pregnancy after one of the IVF cycles and, uh, um, unfortunately, uh, resulted in emergency surgery and they had to remove one of my fallopian tubes. Oh my so I began filming right after the operation. So I was like, at a, I mean, a pretty like rock bottom when it came to that. I, oh, yeah. I had one fallopian tube at that point. I had a lot of problems. I wasn't ovulating. I just felt, um. It was really sad. And I think finally having had got pregnant, yeah. but I couldn't keep that baby. That's a hard thing to take. And then to lose a, a fallopian tube on top of it must have been absolutely devastating. Like, Yeah, you're just like, I I went into this thinking that it was, everybody told me it wasn't going to be that hard. And I'd come out with, I basically, I got not much left here, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to have a baby. Um, so I decided to take a break after that uh, for a few months and just film and just take a moment, you know, because I just felt so much had happened to my body. Um, and of course, lo and behold, 
uh, a month later, I was pregnant. Oh, wow. No, that was when you were on an off cycle. Wow, that's and for fantastic. the record, this is probably way too much information, but I was not lying down afterwards. <laughs> so apparently that doesn't necessarily happen. I imagine so, a lot of people aren't. I mean <laughs> um, that's fantastic. But no, honestly, after that it was like I don't know what happened. After that, uh it we were fine. We didn't need um any help. we got pregnant, had our son, I did not have a problem ovulating, had our daughter and then our other daughter, it was really, um, it was just amazing. Uh, so then maybe when the people thing... were saying to you that, you know, it's like riding a bike or your, your body knows what to do. Maybe that there's something to that. The problem is when you're going through it, there's no way you can convince yourself to be like, no, no, don't worry about it. I'm just going to go on a cruise and get wasted. And give that <laughs> it just, it doesn't, that's the problem. Like it doesn't, of course you wouldn't choose to do that. Right. So it's hard, but I will say I now have worked with many doctors uh, that specialize in infertility and work with a lot of people. And I honestly say with all these years, one thing I always tell people is I have never met anybody except one person, and that was a very special circumstance. I've never met anybody that doesn't ultimately have a baby. And it may not have been how they imagined they were going to have a baby when they were a child. It may end up being through a surrogate or with a donor egg. But everybody in today's world with today's in America, generally speaking, ends up having their baby. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's like a really reassuring thing to hear when you're going through it. So a totally different timeline. And there's a lot of emotional um, ups and downs, but it really, really does happen for most people going through it. Um, within, obviously within reason, if you're 60 years old now, but within <laughs> the time where you're able to. But, but yeah, actually, even a 60-year-old can get pregnant and they have a donut egg because their uterus yeah. is totally fine. But that's a whole nother again, yeah. ethical yeah, I've issue. Been, but. I, I was reading a little bit about that and I was just fascinated because wasn't there like a woman like 62 or 63, something like that I read about recently that had babies and I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like that's almost cruel, I think, you know, to have a... Well, I met a woman that was a little different. So her daughter couldn't carry her children to term. Mm -hmm. And kept having really late stage miscarriages. It was really, really sad. Oh. And the mother, uh, she couldn't see her daughter go through this pain anymore. And so she offered that they use her uterus. And it sounds very like, oh my God, Jerry Springer, but these people are not. <laughs> that. They were just really thoughtful people. And she's like, look, as a mother, I couldn't watch my child have another baby at like 20 weeks old and lose the baby. She said, I couldn't do it. And I, when she learned that the uterus actually doesn't age, the uterus can take a baby at any point, which is amazing. So our eggs that age. She learned that you could actually transfer embryo from her uh, daughter and son-in-law into her and she could carry the baby. Yeah. So that's what they did. And they had um, a baby boy. And it, I mean, it was crazy. And it's crazy to see the pictures, but you know, the mother was like, oh my God, did it almost kill her because mm -hmm. being pregnant at 20 is hard enough. I mean, pregnant in your 60s is oh very tiring. Gosh. But they had the baby. Yeah. So, so yeah, you know what I mean? There's something almost like sci-fi about that. Like there's something a little like futuristic, you know. I, I don't know, all of the advances in technology they can do uh, now to help women have babies is incredible. And although really grateful like for it because one of my best friends um, back home – has struggled with infertility or she struggled for many, many years. And she, um, ha had a baby when she was 
32, I think, through IVF, three rounds of IVF, and the third one she got pregnant, and they had a few eggs left over, um, and they froze them, and just last year, she was almost 40, and she said, oh, well, you know, we better use these eggs, and they did. They'd been frozen for something like eight years, nine years, and they worked, and now at 40, she just had a baby. She was a two-month-old, so she was. she's just shocked. She's like, I thought for sure they wouldn't work. They've been frozen for nine years, and... You know, she's like, I'm 40. I'm just, I can't believe now I have a, a three-month-old. So it's pretty amazing what science can do. It's awesome. I think it's pretty incredible, like I said, um, all of the things you've been through. And what a great story that is. Like, what an inspirational story, especially for women who are in that position and they are thinking about giving up or not moving forward. And and honestly, it's, it's so expensive that um, a lot of women are not able to afford to do it. You know, I think... Um, if it was something that was covered under a health insurance for a country, that would be a big help to a lot of women. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that is what the one thing obviously that does stop people is the financial part of it. Um, and I think that's something important for us all to think about too. And I've worked with um, Resolve for a long time, which is a, a, a charity for fertility. And it helps people, it both lobbies for um, trying to get change in our laws, but it also helps people that can't afford it. And there's just not a lot of attention brought to it and they're fighting such an uphill battle. Like right now they're just trying to get a bill passed that um, pays for active duty um, soldiers that their injury causes their infertility oh, wow. to have the IVF paid for. And currently if you get injured at war fighting for this country and for all of our children's freedom and you can't have a baby as a result of that injury, they do not cover your IVF, oh, which is wow. insane. Yeah. It's insane. So in terms of like the IVF coverage, I mean, we're so at the beginning of fighting that battle that not even the veterans get it. Um, so it's sort of one of those things that is very far behind, I think. It was a really enlightening experience. We went to uh, Washington, D.C., um, and I got to go, and I got to meet all these congressmen, and it was an amazing experience being able to do that, that just anybody in America can walk in there and tell them your, your opinion. It was an amazing experience <laughs> coming from England and being... It was, a, a true, it was a true act of, I guess, how democracy is supposed to be. Anyway, um, you know, a couple of these senators would sit down and they would explain to us, like, why this is something that is hard to pass. And it is so, something that is so pure and so emotional that just makes so much sense to me. And then you hear all of the um, loopholes behind it. Mm -hmm. You know, part of that, I mean, it's so crazy the things you have to think of through laws, but part of that thing was, you know, the first question that is going to arise is how many times do they pay for it? They pay for one cycle, pay for two cycles, how many cycles? Right. And then they, they just kept going down this moral road of, of questions. Are they allowed to have one baby? Are they allowed to have two babies? How many babies does the state cover? Like it was just so many questions that are all legitimate because this, at the end of the day, costs a lot of money but it's just so heart-wrenching because it just seems like something that should be um, available to people yeah that's definitely true um i think it is covered in it's covered in like england right and in some other countries and to yeah, a point for a certain yeah. Number, um, yeah exactly to a point for a certain number of rounds and once you can't just do it right right if you feel like it, you have to show that you've you know, try for a certain period of time. And now um, um did i read yeah. that when you were growing up in england that you were um into modeling and dance is that right so yeah so not in England so I was a dancer growing up in England my father was also a dancer so I studied dance my whole childhood um and then I came to New York um to dance when I was 18 and I got approached then to model it was not something I 
ever possibly considered but <laughs> apparently being really skinny and awkward looking in the late 90s was super cool you so were in yeah so it was like I was like can you model I was like what are you talking about like, I do not like Cindy Crawford um so that kind of worked out for me because yeah <laughs> it paid the bills as I uh, went through college so and then um what inspired mom prep like that is and tell me what mom prep is first of all and then how you made that leap from dancer slash model um to talking to moms about babies and baby care and all of that know, it sounds like it makes no sense but some way in my whiny road it did um so i mean really i think i did a lot of different things um and i ended up back at school, um, I studied at Columbia, um, and I studied neuroscience. And my family was always sort of half of them were very scientific, and the other half were very artistic. So I had it didn't seem strange to move from ballet to science in my family. Anyway, so um, I did that, but I sort of like no matter what I did, I I didn't truly know what I wanted to be, which is very common, I think, amongst young people or even as you get older. But, but I always knew I wanted to be a mom. That was just something I knew. I could fall back on and I cared the most about. Um, and when I thought about doing it, it was the thing that scared me the most because I felt I didn't have support. Like I lived in America without my family. I didn't know how I was going to do it the right way and do it to my best of my ability. It's how I was going to support my child the way I wanted to. Right. And I felt very anxious. And I felt that the at that time there was very um, – I felt there was very inaccurate information out there. Having studied science, I was shocked how many celebrities were saying things that people were just taking as fact and really important things that affect the health of your child. And it wasn't anybody talking with any authority that, uh, in my opinion, really knew what they were talking about. Mm -hmm. And then when I took the classes that were available, they were one extreme or the other. It was either you're going to go to the hospital and you're going to do X, Y, Z, or you're going to go and hug a tree because the hospital's a bad <laughs> And I'm like, sure, there's somewhere in the middle. Surely I can still have my baby in the hospital, but not feel forced to do things. That, you know what I mean? Yeah, I just, that's fantastic. I feel like that was, I was like, why? And I definitely was not a person that wanted to have a baby hugging a tree. And Li- all the yeah. Time, Living out here in do, LA, that's not me. you know everybody is right. like that. Everybody. If you want to do it. But my fundamental basis is it doesn't make you a better parent. No. Whether you do it that way or you do it with an epidural, it's all the same thing. It's about your experience, which is awesome, but it doesn't change the parent that you are. Right. And we've become a society that sort of wants to one-up each other. Like, oh, I did it without this or oh I did it without gosh, that. It's really not yes. a competition. Oh, my gosh. As long as you're yes. a healthy Ugh. baby and you got through it. Well, that's all that matters. Out here, it's like, it seems like whatever the weirder way you can find to have your baby, you know, whether it's in a tub of water or in a swimming pool in your house or, you know, if you go to the Ritz-Carlton, the Reserva Suite, like whatever is the most unusual and different way um, to be trendy and say that you had your baby, that's what you do out here. I was excited to go to the hospital. I We went to a very nice hospital. I had my own room and, um, you know... It was what it was. That's how my mom did it. So that's how I did it. So I, none of the fancy births for, were for me. <laughs> no, like I think each to their own. Like if you want to have a fancy birth for the right reasons, awesome. Right. But my my big concern and my concern back then was that people were not asking the right questions. And people are very questioning of some things, uh, especially, you know, the medical authority and medicine. They should be. But People are not equally as questioning over other alternatives. What like do you think they should home be asking? Birth or, like, well, I just think for I think there's some amazing doulas out there. I think they're unbelievable. 
But I don't find in my line of work that many people that are getting a doula have asked them that many questions about delivering and how much experience they have in the same way that they do their doctor. And that would be fine if we weren't taking medical advice from doulas. But today's world, we are. People do ask their doulas advice on things like epidurals and uh, VBACs and many other things that if you are asking that advice, and many doulas are able to give you advice on it, but you got to make sure they're really qualified just as much as you would with a doctor. And I, I've met so many people you know, that have read every article on Pitocin and are asking so many questions about that but then they are absolutely fine with sending their placenta to some random person in Brooklyn <laughs> and then eating it. No, and uh, I'm, not opposed to eat, I'm not opposed to eating your placenta. It's fine. Okay, great. But why would you then ask, yeah. is it my placenta? Is there any evidence? Like uh, when you take my placenta, what do you do with it? For like, the record, like- I am opposed to eating placenta. I okay. just want to put that out there. <laughs> but I just say, I just, I don't get it. I'm like, why ask it. so many questions of one thing and so yeah. little of another? And I was very frustrated by it because I didn't know what was right. Like, look, if we're eating your placenta's right, then I want to do it. But right. I just want to hear somebody talk about it that I actually think has some authority yeah. and some evidence that I can put my teeth around. But because the world is so divided at the moment, you're either like pro it or you're evil and against it, it's very hard to have a conversation. It's kind of like religion. Like you can't have a yeah. conversation about it without people jumping down your throat. Yeah, that's so, true. People are very passionate when it comes to... I, I've learned this uh, since having my own child. People are very passionate one way or another about you must do it this way or you can't do it this way and you know, uh, or you're going to ruin them for life. And I think a lot of moms are really scared and they're terrified that they don't want to mess up their kids, you know, and we all just want to do the best we can. And uh, there is a lot of bad information out there for sure. But I'll tell you, I think that first, first thing people have to understand is just because somebody doesn't do what you did doesn't mean what you did was wrong. Right. If it was the best for you and your scenario, that is brilliant. But it doesn't just, it does by making somebody else do the same thing is not saying that you did wrong. You know, I mean, did right did right. Mm-hmm. And I think that happens all the time. You know, you have grandparents saying, well, you had a bumper, so you were fine. Yeah. You're not saying that they were a bad parent because they used a bumper. That was what they knew how to do. But today we know probably better not to. Right. But people have so have such an inability to just sort of separate themselves from it that I think it's really hard. But and the other thing I'll say, you know, as a parent, everything from breastfeeding to sleep training to whatever you decide to do, None of these things will affect the ultimate health and happiness of your child. There are so many more things that are going to happen as they get older. But what will fundamentally and absolutely affect their health and happiness is if you are not happy with the choices that you made and you're an insecure parent, that will change everything for them. So I say to people, if if breastfeeding is not right for you and you've truly searched your life and for whatever reasons you've come to this conclusion, then you have to go forth and believe in your decision and likewise, if breastfeeding is right for you, the same. And if you're somewhere in the middle, awesome. But with all this um, pressure, and I think uh, so, sort of mom hating on each other, like, oh, if you don't do that, you're a bad parent. Yeah. It makes us second guess our decision so much that it's not so much the decision that was wrong. It's our inability to be confident in it that affects us. Right. Yeah. No, and that's I absolutely think, right. And just, you know, having a kid, like, there's so many things. There's so many things that are going to affect how happy or healthy they are. And these little things, they are important, but they're not going to be as important as you imagine. Yeah. Um, and I just hate to see people spend those years unhappy because they think it being so crappy. I think um, one example I think of is I was in a mommy and me group here in L.A. And we must have talked for weeks, maybe months about cups 
when we started being like, what kind of cu- what? cups? What kind uh, of cups to use and what's the best cup? And I was like, I can't believe we're spending so much time talking about a damn cup. I use, I have one that's like 250 from Target and it works perfectly and I still use it. But yet it was like everybody needed to have like the certain kind of cup or whatever. And it just, it was very weird. <laughs> That, but that to me is our insecurity. Right. Because if you're reliant, and this is not, I'm not, believe me, I am one of the most insecure people you can meet. Like, of course, I'm the same way. Like, believe me, if I could buy a stroller and that would make me, like, check that box, I'm a great mom, mm-hmm. I would love to. But I just know that that's not going to do it. <laughs> right, right. But we, we have a tendency to obsess. Like, I, I got to get the right bottle. I got to get the right this. I got to get the right that. If I don't, then somehow I'm not good enough. That, you just realize later on, that stuff doesn't matter. And unfortunately, when you're going through it, you don't realize that. And it makes everything so much harder. So my long story short, I was like, why aren't there classes that make people feel good about themselves instead of making them scared? Like, if you have something wrong in pregnancy, you should not be taking a class. You need to go to a specialist. So if you not have something wrong and you have a normal pregnancy, you need a class that makes you feel good and empowered, not a class that makes you feel like you're already failing as a parent. So that's why we started Mom Prep. And we people always think that I taught the classes I did not I really believe in experts so we would bring people in of all different sorts midwives uh OBGYNs OBGYNs with different practices um fitness trainers I mean many many different type of people to teach the classes to offer people different perspectives um in a very non-judgmental way so that's really why we started it so people could get access to um current evidence-based information um, you know, and you want to learn about placenta, then you can come and we'll have people talk about placenta. Yeah, <laughs> that's still so crazy to me. <laughs> so how did mom prep then um, translate into pregnant into heels? Like how did that transition um, for your Bravo show? Well, originally uh, mom prep was um, in our first store and we would um, have talks. Like we might have an anesthesiologist talking about the real risks of an epidural um, and then they would be debated by a doula or a midwife that might have different feelings and we'd really get all that stuff aired, like what was true, what was not true, what's your preference, what's not. And I started doing that kind of stuff in the store to drive traffic to my store because mm-hmm. uh, it's a really different, ta- difficult time in the economy. And it just was really interesting and I loved learning too. So I started reaching out to more and more experts and had more and more seminars like this and people would come and take the classes and they just naturally started asking for more. Like, who's the best CPR person? Like, who's really good at designing nurseries? And that's sort of how the concierge business um, came about and that's what Bravo focused on. So um, it was at the very beginning uh, that Bravo caught on to what we were doing and we it wasn't until after the show or during the show that we really uh, honed in on more of a core curriculum um, that we teach and work with hospitals to teach. So it's a little bit less um, customized, I guess, now, mm-hmm. a little bit more um, so your core classes that we yeah. believe people need to take. And you also do um, a YouTube channel. You have conversations with Rosie on your YouTube channel. What kinds of things do you talk about there? Is that sort of like mom prep, but like just with yeah. you? So really, the education portion of our brand is really, really important to me. Um, but for me, it's a, it's like a customer service offering. Like, I don't want people to have to pay for it. And in the old days, we had to. It was a concierge business. It was sort of one-off. But it means you're helping very few people. So we have more and more turning our educational offering into um, content that's just available for everybody. Um, so 
we incorporate it in our packaging, we incorporate it in our newsletter and blog and social media. Um, we incorporate it with our brand partnerships, like with Gap and StrideWrite. Um, and then we incorporate it on our YouTube channel. And um, that's going to be a big focus for us in 2016, really trying to make more and more videos, um, helping people in a relatable way uh, with everything to do with pregnancy and parenting. And I, I strongly believe that, you know, the millennial mom, is coming from watching YouTubers, whether it's a beauty yeah. blogger or whoever, they get pregnant and then all of a sudden it's like, boom, they're on a parenting website. And it's boring. Yeah. <laughs> it looks boring. And it's just, I don't, it has to, to me, still be aesthetically pleasing for a generation that is all about visuals, but just with different content. So the idea behind our YouTube channel is really to take the traditional vlogger style, you know, in your living room, very relatable. Um, but the content is more geared to education, but it's also not so PC that you can't say anything Yeah. because it's just annoying when somebody tells you like, here's the top tips for potty training. And they're like, <laughs> number one, read a book. You know, like number two, buy some pets. It's just like, if it was that easy, then we'd be fine. Oh my and gosh, I hate that. I stuff. So I like to tell people like the real deal, you know, what wait. can you tell <laughs> me about potty training? <laughs> but, no, seriously, I'm just probably wait until your baby can talk to you. And then you say, hey, sweetie, see over there is the toilet. <laughs> when you need to go, that's where you go. And they're like, okay, mommy. Yeah. And then they go over to it. And that does mean they're going to be, you know, some point after three years old, but it'll happen before they're four. And, and it is not nice going to bed, bathroom in a diaper at that point. It's like, I do not want to poop in a diaper anymore. They're so easy to potty train. You just have to tune out everybody else who's doing it with their 18 month kid. Which makes no sense. I'm like, why? Why? They can't even say poo-poo. Um, but anyway, yeah, I'm all about simplicity. I love that because I have found um, that, you know, when I was, uh, when Channing was little, my daughter's name is Channing, and she, when she was teeny tiny, I would, um, I don't like carrying around a lot of stuff. Like I didn't like packing my diaper bag full of things so that, you know, it weighed 15 pounds. And then I was also carrying around, you know, my, my 15 pound baby and then the stroller and all that. I mean, it just was too much. I just wanted to simplify. And so I love the idea of just keeping things simple and, um, yeah, that's fantastic. I love that you, you have that philosophy as well. I appreciate it, Rosie. <laughs> yeah. And having said that, look, if you potty train your kid when they were you know six weeks out of the womb i love that about you yeah like that's my i'm not judging and i want to meet you do that. <laughs> right but i'm just saying that there is nothing wrong and quite frankly it is a lot easier for most people to just wait until they turn three like i literally i refuse to tra potty train any of my children until they have turned three yeah. my daughter was two and a half and she like literally came down the stairs in underwear i was like can you please do it already like i i really would like to go to the bathroom yeah and i'm like all right Right. My daughter is two and a half and we are doing it now. We've been doing it for a few months and we started early because our preschool that, that I wanted to send her to, um, uh, she was required to be potty trained and I kind of felt it was a little early and a little soon. Um, and we've had quite a few accidents. Um, but for the most part, she gets it and she understands it. I don't think she likes it. I think she preferred to just poop in her pants and keep going or poop in her Can diaper. I you, keep going. Preschools. I think as moms, we should rally together. You pay so much money for those preschools, they need to go out and get themselves a potty training license. You know, yeah. it's not that hard to get one. 
You have to get a license. I would love it if they add. would just be like, yes, whenever she's ready or we'll help her through it. You know what I mean? Instead of now, yeah. I'm like, Ugh. I did it mostly no, because I needed a, a break for myself. Um, I, I wanted her to go ahead and start preschool, but also mostly because I need I wanted her to be around friends around other kids because I you're paying thousands of dollars a year. Mm-hmm. I my thing is when you're paying thousands of dollars a year, I think these schools can go out and get a potty training license. They're accepting children from 18 months on or two years on. They need to be able to change a diaper because <laughs> I've had the same problem and I hate it. And I'll tell you, like you've been struggling with this or doing it for weeks or months. When you potty train when your kid's ready, like at three or a little bit after that, it takes a day. I'm not even kidding, a day. There's no, it's just a day. You might have one or two accidents and it's done. And it's just the thing that your kid has to go through that and you have I do that. It's so unnecessary just because the preschool doesn't want to get its act together to spend some money. And I know it's not an insignificant amount of money, but we're paying them a significant amount of money in the first place. So yeah. no, I would be in my bonnet about that. I love that. <laughs> and I wish I could go up and just say, hey, this is the deal. <laughs> but I would just. Hope said, you guys need to go get a license. Right, exactly. <laughs> they would be like, you need, or you can find another school then. I'm sure that's what they would say. Be like, thank you for your time. Um, <laughs> so you gotta get the moms to rally together though. So you gotta rally. Get everyone Everybody together. rally. Um, so I wanna talk to you really quick about your uh clothing line. You're getting ready to expand into a nursing line. So tell me a little bit more about that. When is it gonna be in stores? What is it what can we expect? Sure. So uh maternity currently obviously we sell on uh rosiepope.com, uh Amazon in our store. Uh, and a variety of other places but our nursing collection um, some uh, styles have just launched in uh, Destination Maternity and Bye Bye Baby um, and that's a limited collection um, and then by uh, I would say December we'll have the whole line available nationwide for people so that's everything from tanks um, and leggings and postpartum support wear. I love leggings. Can I just tell you, I lived in my leggings. Yeah, oh my God. Leggings are the, the best <laughs> thing. We have these like cozy fleece line ones too. Ooh. Um, with butt lift. Oh, well now we're talking. And <laughs> uh, our nursing collection and all the basics are all under $50. Oh, wow. That's which great. Which is really important for me to do. So um, I'm really excited about it. So yeah, I mean, people will be able to get it wherever they want. Like Nordstrom. Um, bye bye baby, rosiepope.com, Amazon, like everywhere. Um, and why did you want to create, so, like, why did you want to create clothes for moms? Is it because you knew that, like, we literally, pregnant women were just wearing, like, sacks and, like, just big, large prints of dresses? And you're so stylish. Every picture I've seen you in, you are very stylish. Yeah. I mean, I really think that we can pretend that it's not how we feel, but we are people that feel when you look good you feel better Mm -hmm. and when you feel better life is better and we're better parents and it's just better everything that we do and I think that I was so shocked that pregnancy is this like huge moment in people's lives where you're right they have these huge baby showers and everybody's getting more and more extravagant about birth and all this stuff but yet consistently everybody will tell you oh but I hate maternity clothes I'm like how can you imagine people get married and every single person was like I hate wedding dresses you don't hear that. People are like, oh, my God, my wedding dress is so exciting. Right. Like, right. How can we have this huge life experience and hate the way we look that's true. every single day? Yeah, that's true. And I just think as a woman, it's so complicated body 
body issues are so prevalent. And when you when your body changes that much over such a short space of time, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of things you're coming to terms with. There's a lot of stuff you're happy that you're doing as a mother. There's a lot of stuff that you're not sure how you look. It's like so much going on. It's very psychological and emotional. So the least I can do is make clothes of great quality and make you feel good. Because um, I really think that translates into your overall experience. And for us as a brand that wants to continue with you beyond pregnancy, it's really important that that was a special time for you and not a time where you're like, I hate those clothes so much, I want to burn them. Like, <laughs> you may not want to wear them again once you've like had your baby, but I never want to hear what you want to burn them. Like That's a real failure to me. Um, let me ask you, what wardrobe piece do you think then that modern moms can't live without? Like, like I said, for me, it was my leggings. And I also had this really cute, like oversized maternity dress that I loved. And it just was really comfy. Um, what are you seeing that moms can't live without? Um, I agree totally the legging portion. I think, um, in today's world, it's sort of interesting that, you know, tight has become very acceptable in pregnancy and I just, it's actually very comfortable towards the end. Um, because it's sort of counterintuitive. It makes you look smaller than bigger. Because mm-hmm. uh, when you're wearing such huge flowing things, once you're already really pregnant, that just sort of adds layers. So I do think having your leggings, the sweater that you can wear, I call them like the boyfriend sweaters, you can wear all day long. Um, and then one tight dress. You have one tight like, black dress. You can wear that puppy to a wedding. You can wear it to work. You do whatever you want with it. Or with flip-flops, who cares? But it's just chic enough that you can do anything you want. Um, and I think a lot of celebrities have sort of, um, because so many celebrity moms are embracing their pregnancy nowadays, it's, um, it's become like the in thing to do to be pregnant on the red carpet and you're wearing your tight dress and you're showing off your bump. And, um, that I think has been a big factor in, um, what women are wearing and what moms are wearing too. Yeah. And I think, um, part of that is good because the bump is no longer something that people try and hide and right. they're not pregnant. And so that's great that we're like celebrating that. And then the other part of it is like, I mean, red carpet is pretty unrealistic. So when you're seeing princess Kate, where, yeah, as they call like non-maternity items, they've been custom made for her. I mean, yeah. so they are maternity items by definition because they were made for pregnant women. So they, I just, all of that is like, I love it and everything, but it's just as everything, it just gets taken too far. Like, that it to look like that everybody honestly most people would look like that with all the hair and makeup and everything else that goes into it Mm -hmm. and they look beautiful but that's what you're dealing with as an everyday standard it's pretty rough you mean you don't Uh, wake up every day and and have someone come in and do a team for you for your hair two hours to leave the house i'm like i'm sorry i cannot get in my minivan until my team is finished with me um right yeah i went uh but no no and I don't know, I just, I just think that our, what we think as women, as pregnant women, what we think of as normal has become actually what we see in magazines, whether we believe it or not, it's true. What we, our image of what a body should look like is not what we see in like the locker room or in a dressing room or in our family. Like we think of the things we see in a magazine, which is completely not the normal. Right. And then I feel like it's a losing battle. Um, I think it's so much, it's so healthy. I think I always think to be on a beach actually, because so many. I mean, I don't know what it's like in LA, but on a <laughs> beach on the East Coast, people are beautiful, but they're like more normal. Normal, you know? yeah, yeah. Like, no, it's true. Oh my god, this is amazing. Yeah, everybody does not have a six pack, and it's like a really like in a place you would expect to feel horrible. It's actually a place that you feel quite like, oh my god, okay, cool. Yeah, um, yeah. actually, we have those people here. They just we make them all go to the same beach and okay. <laughs> 
So you guys go to that beach. Everybody else, all the beautiful people go to Manhattan Beach. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, well, I am so excited for uh, your new line to come out or the extension of your new line to come out and all of the amazing things you're doing. I love all that you've said about just doing what's right for you as a parent and how it doesn't affect um, you know, you're the way your child is going to grow up. And, um, I, I love keeping things simple. I just love the idea of all of that. So, um, thank you for sharing that and reemphasizing it. I really appreciate it. And we have a, uh, a company motto, which really, and I gotta tell you, I really am a work in progress myself because I, I get it. I get swayed to by people's opinions, but our company motto is love with confidence. And I think if we can do that as a generation, we're going to be doing something really right. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. You're absolutely right. It's true. Love with confidence. What a great, what a great uh, way to phrase that, Rosie. I think that's yep. pretty perfect. Um, if you guys want to follow Rosie on Twitter, you can go to at Rosie Pope. You can also find her on Facebook. Uh, Rosie Pope is your name, your Facebook page as well. And also check out her YouTube videos, Conversations with Rosie. And go to the Rosie Pope shop at rosiepope.com. Um, that's where you'll find information about all of her clothes, as well as you have mom prep information on there as well. Yep. Yep. Okay. Um, and don't forget Instagram, my personal And Instagram, favorite. yes. Oh my gosh. I'm so addicted to Instagram. I love it so much. I'm having so much fun just I love like it posting too. pictures like crazy. Um, but yeah. I would like all the other social media to go away, and I'd like to just focus on Instagram. Just Instagram, right? <laughs> I'm a little over Facebook. I'm a little like burnout because it's just become this big diatribe of everybody's, you know, ridiculous political opinions one way or the other. And what about Twitter, though? Twitter, I'm like, whenever I talk to a young person, they're like, "What's Twitter?" Oh, really? They don't do yeah, nobody. The kids aren't dead. doing Twitter anymore. No, it's over for high school kids. Oh wow! So I'm like, why am I doing Twitter? <laughs> I'm wondering like how uh, I'm curious to talk to you again as your kids get older and they start going because um, your kids are what your oldest child is how old seven seven so you've got a ways to go before you get to that tween phase that uh, teenage phase when they're like mom you're embarrassing me or you know that sort of thing <laughs> so I'm curious I, I feel like we've already hit it. oh really <laughs> Oh my God, as always. Is he like, Mom, stop it? Stop. <laughs> I'm curious to see how uh, different your parenting uh, changes, or or maybe not at all. If maybe you know, you just get even more confident with your um, with your parenting. I'm curious to see how that all develops over the next few years as your kids grow and get older. Very exciting. Fingers crossed. I don't turn into a crazy person. <laughs> I'm sure they won't. I'm sure they won't. Um, but Rosie, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. And um, I know that you're in New York and you're very busy. So I, I do appreciate you coming on the show. My pleasure. Well, thank you for having me. And uh, it was very cathartic. I feel like I went to therapy. So. <laughs> good. <laughs> so good. I hope you had a little bit of laughter in there with your therapy too. <laughs> Um, and thank uh, you guys. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thank you. And thanks for listening, everybody. If you want to check out Motherhood in Hollywood, you can go to motherhoodinhollywood.com and follow me on Twitter at MH Podcast and on Instagram at Motherhood in Hollywood. Thanks so much, you guys, and we'll see you next week. Mama funny. Balls. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can seem intense. Like breakup R and B intense. I thought you said you love the sweater that I got you. 
makes it easy. Just go to Geico.com anytime to update or check your policy without all the extra drama. I even had a gift receipt. Albertsons is your entertainment end zone. Look for the game on player tags when you shop. Buy three and enter to win great prizes like a 65-inch big screen LED TV. Catch the Ram spirit with a game on sweepstakes at Albertsons. For great sandwiches, get Nature's Harvest Bread 20-ounce selected varieties and Oroweep Bread 24-ounce selected varieties, just $2.99 each. No purchase necessary. Open to residents of Southern California counties listed in rules 18 years and older. Ends January 3rd, 2017. Enter code by January 10th, 2017. Rules at GameOnSoCal.com.